everyone. And today we're going to be talking with Mike Eisenhart. So he is a physical therapist in New Jersey. He is a health consultant, Proact uh, Proactivity's managing partner. He's, that's Proactivity Associates. And he has been the president of the, the APTA's New Jersey chapter from 2013 to 2017. And we're going to talk to him in a second. But before we do that, at the start of every show, I like to uh, bring everyone's attention to something in health, wellness, physical therapy, uh, things that people are doing to help others, to get community involvement, non-for-profits, cool things happening. So um, today I want to highlight Basecamp 31, and you can go to www.basecamp31.com. That's all one word, no, hyphenating, no hyphenations, no periods www.basecamp31.com and they are a 501c3 recognized nonprofit organization and their mission is to foster healthy community and personal development through shared experiences of like-minded folks and we are going to talk more about this with Mike Eisenhart because this is uh, his he is part of this uh, non-for-profit so we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show but just to sort of start things off with the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board, everybody go to Basecamp31.com, learn more about it. And again, we'll be talking uh, a little bit more with Mike about it as the show goes on. So uh, let's everyone, I want to let's welcome Mike Eisenhart to the podcast. So Mike, welcome. Thanks for taking time out today. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. So Let's talk first, before we talk about big picture things in physical therapy, let's talk a little bit more about you. So, okay. like I mentioned, you're a physical therapist, health consultant, proactivity associates managing partner, but let's talk a little bit more about how you got into physical therapy and why you got into physical therapy. Um, so, let's see. I, I got into physical therapy, um, I would say mostly because my older sister is a PT. And, uh, Me and, too. And I was yeah. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm probably a little uh, lazier than I should be. And uh, as I got to the point where I finally realized that five foot nine, I wasn't going to be a professional football player. I had to have a backup plan. So, uh, so my sister said, "Hey, it's a great profession, and you know, you can work with athletes and grow up and do good things." And my parents kind of supported me and said, "Yeah, you, you should probably have a skill, you know, because otherwise you'll be all over the map. So why not do this?" Uh, and I, I probably didn't decide I wanted to be a PT until I was my last semester in PT school. And it all kind of clicked, and I went, whoa, this is a really great field, and, and uh, definitely happy to be a part of it. And where did you go to PT school? Uh, I went to the University of Connecticut. Oh, University of Connecticut. And so since you, when, when did you graduate? In 1998. 1998. Okay, so since you graduated until now, what changes have you seen take place in the physical therapy world and this will kind of I think lead into our discussion today so what do you in your opinion what do you think are the big changes that have happened over the la over the last 15 years or so um, and then well, we'll kind of get into into our I think that will lead into our discussion today okay yeah so um, I mean I, I think one of the the biggest um, is our reliance on evidence you know so that was kind of the I felt like I was in the beginning of that wave when, when we really started talking about as a profession, you know, about evidence and that we really have got to have, you know, that driving our practice. Um, but probably for me personally, the biggest one has been sort of our embrace of 
keeping people healthy and that that's okay. You know, when I first graduated, it was kind of, and mostly because of payment, you know, like PTs, we don't do maintenance, you know, we don't, we don't keep people healthy. We just get them better and send them on their way. Um, and that never made sense to me. It was sort of like a, you know, completely, you know, foreign idea that like that there's no value in keeping people healthy. Um, but now I think that we're starting to realize that there's ma- you know, massive value there and, and, and we want to be a part of it. So it's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think I graduated, I graduated from PT school a year before you did. And, and I would have to definitely agree with both of those points. One being like when I first graduated, it was, we caught people after they were injured or after they, I worked in a hospital. So, you know, patient, a lot of patients with COPD and heart issues and, and it was always kind of getting people on the the tail end of their injury versus, like you said, promoting wellness and trying to perhaps prevent some of those those issues from happening in the first place. Absolutely. So, th- so then that begs the question, do we as physical therapists, as a profession, do we need to move towards more of a quote-unquote lifestyle brand versus a strictly rehabilitation brand? Um, so, you know, the short answer, in my opinion, of course, only my opinion, but, uh, the short answer to that is yes. I mean, there's no question about it that, um, it's both what we can deliver the greatest value in and also where the need is. Um, and and I think also where the desire is, right. I mean, so, so I always kind of look at it as there's this balance between we have, you know, a really great skill set and we can really help people and, and that's all wonderful and good, but we have a hard time branding ourselves because, in my opinion, very few people, again, only those folks that are at the tail end of disease, truly want to be only functional. And I, and I say that kind of in quotes, you know, because for years we've sort of said as a profession, like we're the function people, we'll get you back to being functional. And, you know, if I put myself in a consumer's shoes or a client, I, I would never walk in the door and say, hey, my goal is to be just functional. You know, I want to be my best. I want right. to be the best version of me, whatever that is. And and, and that may be, you know, it's a, obviously a very wide spectrum, but uh but yeah, I want to be my best. And, and to me, that, that is a lifestyle brand. And, and we can deliver on that. Like, there's no question PTs can be leading that charge. But I think we have to sort of view it that way and say, hey, this is a big deal. And we, and we can sort of run this show. Right. So it's, it's a bit of a mind shift that needs to happen within the profession as a whole. To yeah, kind of shift, yeah, to kind of shift from, well, I'll see you. Oh, I see patients after they have total knee replacements instead of but instead maybe saying, I'm, I want to see patients from, you know, before they need to go in for surgery, or I want to see patients when they're healthy and, and keep them that way. Well, yeah, I think we're, I think we're starting to get there, you know, and this talk about the movement system. And and I know there's, you know, a lot of differing views and thoughts on it. And there's a lot to be done by people that are far smarter than I, but, but I think the idea is, is that, yeah, movement is kind of a window into life in general. And, you know, and, and certainly if you got into the, you know, if you really wanted to dig deep and get into some of the evolutionary biologists and those folks who think that basically we were developed to move, like we're built to move. And if we can kind of put our stake on that and say, yeah, like we're the folks who from an early age can tell you, you're either moving like a body should or you're not. And there are ways to keep you moving the right way or help you get closer to what that is. Um, that there's an extreme value, both at the human level, you know, just, just again, that's that whole human experience idea, but, mm-hmm. but also, you know, I mean, at the health and, and sort of the healthcare dollar spend level, I mean, like it, it's a valuable thing. And, and we, 
I think are, are the best to do this. Um, we haven't agreed to that yet as a profession. We haven't all said like, yeah, we're the best. We should lead this. But, um, but I think we're going to get there. And now it seems like what you're doing in your clinic in New Jersey, um, it, it seems like you're doing this. It's going well. You know, you seem to be able to foster this community within your clinic and, and within that, your, I guess, area that you cover New Jersey. So how did you do this? How did you get people, so not just the physical therapists and the trainers and, and all the people you have working with you, but the consumer, the client, how did you get them to buy in to, to what you're so passionate about? Because it seems like you've got this lifestyle brand thing worked out to the best of your ability to what you can do at this point. Would you agree? Um, and, so and, then, and maybe even more, you know, yeah, like more well, I mean, on the it's, horizon. It, it's definitely a work in progress. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a principle more than anything. So we always look at it as we're trying to figure this thing out, you know, sort of the Alcoholics Anonymous version, you know, sort of one day at a time. We're trying mm -hmm. to take it and continue to look at this as a big, massive puzzle. And, you know, we'll keep trying pieces until we figure out the one that goes in the right spot. Um, I mean, I appreciate that. It's a massive compliment <laughs> for me and, and for our team that, that people view that as something that we do well. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, you know, we, we believe in it. I mean, we, we say to all of our clients that um, this isn't a job for us. You know, we, we live, eat, breathe, sleep this stuff. Um, and and we're, we are hugely passionate about it. And I think that that passion bleeds through and people realize that and that, that we really care about their well-being. Um, but as far as, as how did we figure it out, um, I think we, you know, we've been tremendously lucky. I mean, you know, they, people say you create your own luck by working real hard and being in the right place at the right time. But, you know, we have had some some partners both in the workplace and, and in our community that that are willing to listen long enough and not just kind of write us off as crazy, you know, and say like, yeah, like, you know, this idea that, that health is a strategic priority for 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 everyone. You know, I mean, we'll we'll go in and talk about that in the workplace and say, look, if your workplace had healthy workers, you would be better than your competitors. That's valuable. And you can't make enough cogs to make up the difference for how, how much your unhealthy folks are costing you. So we've been lucky to have a little bit of, you know, a foothold in that domain and, and we certainly don't have it perfect. Um, but then on the other side, the, you know, the community has embraced it. And, uh, and I think that we, you know, we, we've sort of looked at it as a team as it's a, it's bigger than us. You know, it's not like a job for us. It's, it's bigger than us. And we just keep sort of poking at it that way. And do you have any practical tips? Let's say for other PTs that might be listening from around the country, what steps did you take to get your clinic to where it's at, to, to get companies to say, hey, you know, you're right, a wellness program in our company would be a good thing. So do you have any advice, any practical take-home tips that, let's say someone who's thinking they want to do this in their community, what should they be doing or not doing for that matter? Yeah. Um, so the, the first practical tip that I could give to anybody would be, you know, learn the language of business. I mean, as much as that sounds kind of broad, it's, it's hugely important. You know, when we talk um, amongst ourselves, we're often talking as clinicians and we understand each other because we speak a very specific language. Um, folks in business and in community have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, they, they don't know what we're saying. It, it doesn't make sense to them. And part of that is because we hold ourselves to such strict standards on things like outcomes, and, and that's just a different level of, of information or data. So many times, you know, we try to make it simple, you know, talk in terms that people can understand. And I think that as a profession, 
Um, it's a frustration for me a little bit because I think that we are really, really smart. And hopefully we're on the other side of that where we're trying to show people that we're really smart. Like we're really smart. We can be confident in that. And let's just now try to make it simple. You know, I, I sort of look at it as one of the the major things that anybody who's sort of been in, the, in a successful role has done is is to say, look, take a complex idea and make it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that we um, probably, I mean, it, that doesn't sound super practical. I realize it sounds kind of high level, but, but it's, it's the key. I mean, to be able to say the, the difference between, you know, well, your knee is supposed to do exactly this and exactly that and, and talk in sort of terms of data and say like, look, you see how when you bend down, you feel it here? Yeah, we, we can change that. Let's make some changes. And, and okay, now if I change the position of your foot, see how you feel it now? Like, like those kinds of simple things and people go, oh, wow. I think the other thing is don't be afraid to care. You know, care more than you probably should um, and, and keep coming back. And I think, you know, that we've been sort of lucky that way too, that people sort of, you know, we, we have endurance as one of our key areas. You know, we talk about five key areas, move, fuel, recover, endure, and connect. Mm-hmm. And endurance, not just endurance athletics, but the idea of like, don't give up, you know, like just keep going. I mean, if you know you've got something that works, you'll get there. Um, so, I mean, I think PT has a, a lifestyle brand in everything we do. So keep going. Yeah. And I love the, the first piece of advice going back to that, learn the language of business, make it simple. So you're saying don't use PT jargon and gobbledygook that most people aren't going to understand, but instead Think about using language that's the consumer or that the client is going to understand. And and I think it's important that when we say simple, it doesn't mean dumb it down. No, definitely Sim- not. It's no, harder. <laughs> it's harder. It's so much harder. You know, David Butler just came out with the Explain Pain Handbook, which is a simplified version of Explain Pain meant for the patient. He said it took them five years to write that because they had to take these complex um, ideas and simplify them, not dumb them down, but simplify them. I and totally it, believe that. And it took a really long time to do that. But the, there's nothing better than someone coming to you with an explanation that is clear, concise, and in the language that you can understand. And that's what simple is. Simple is not dumbing down. And I think it's important for people to know that. Yeah, it's monstrous. I mean, to, to be able to have you know, when you see the light go on and someone goes, oh, I get it, you know, and, and that is the, I think the difference in, in what we can, and I also think that's what we can do, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. not total, you know, like, I mean, we don't have to be total eggheads. We can be the people who are practical and say, look, like I'm kind of the person who has one foot in, in one camp and one foot in the other, and I can talk medical and I can also talk patient and, and or client or consumer or whatever you want to call them. Right. And, and, and we can help you get you know, get this all together. And, and I think that that is, um, that's hard for us. You know, I, yeah, I, I it know is. I see it on, you know, in, in some of the conversations and, and, and when people talk a little bit about marketing and things and I say, boy, like we can't be marketing these ridiculously complex concepts. I know, like calm, concepts. It, calm it down, people, you know, <laughs> it's like, bring it down a notch, you know, yeah. it's like, it, you just, there's, there's a great book that's called Simple by Alan Siegel. Um, who I've who I've interviewed in the past, and cool. if if you want to learn how to speak in a more simple manner, not as complex and with full of he calls it gobbledygook, yeah. read the book. It's called Simple, very That's easy, cool. and it's a cool book. It's a it's a it's a nice read. Um, awesome. And then the other thing that I loved is um, don't be afraid to care, 
And, you know, there's that buzzword, that empathy, which has been, I mean, a big buzzword in the PT field for a long time. Um, And I was just actually, literally, before I came onto this call, I am listening to right now Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please. Mm. So if anyone wants a great read, you should, or listen to, I would, I would actually say listen to it because Amy Poehler's narrating it. But I just got to the point where she referenced Maya Angelou, and I'm going to, I, I, liter- I should have written it down, but she said in the words of Maya Angelou, and I'm going to, par- I'm paraphrasing here, but people don't necessarily remember what you did or how you said it. They remembered how you made them feel. Yeah, right on. And so that take that just totally reminded me of when you said don't be afraid to care because people will remember. People don't come back because they said, oh, remember when he did that thing with my knee? They come back because they say, you know, he made me feel really great. That's right. And and I maybe I still had a little bit of pain, but God, I felt really good. You know, so that's the whole point. And that's where um, PTs can can really harness that. And, and I think bring this sort of lifestyle brand to a, a whole new level. But anyway. Yeah, I think, I think we have to give ourselves permission a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, and, and, and it's okay. But, but, but that when we do, you know, we change lives and, and can't be afraid to say that, you know. I mean, we, we change lives. At the end of the day, that's what we do um, if we're willing to keep working at it and keep figuring it out. And I, and I totally understand it sounds pie in the sky and, and, and a lot of folks, you know, are in a more difficult spot than I am currently because, you know, we work with clientele who, you know, payment isn't as much of an issue as it is when we're dealing with third-party payers and insurance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it always comes back to that. But I just kind of keep coming back to this idea of, well, if you do something amazing enough, people are willing to pay for it. And that starts with your ability to really care about them and their well-being. Put them first. 100%. 100%. And, And it's also important to note that, you know, charging your worth and having patients pay for, let's say this is something that, that wouldn't even be reimbursed by, by an insurance company. If you're doing a wellness program or something, I think it's important to note that making money and charging what you feel your time and energy and passion is worth and helping someone improve their lives are not mutually exclusive. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and, and sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect there in our profession. I don't know. Would you agree with that? I mean, where, where do you think the, I don't know. I, it was just like the Oxford debate, right? Yeah. It's kind of a weird, weird spot. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. we, um, we sometimes are afraid to talk about it as, Hey, like, you know, it, it, there's a business here and we have to be able to make enough money to survive and do the next thing. And, you know, I've had, I've had that conversation with folks and I, and I found myself kind of, you know, sort of vacillate between both sides where it's like, yeah, you know, I I tell people all the time, like if I felt like I could do it, I, you know, I'd I'd give away my services for free because there are a lot of people out there who need it. Sure. Um, But by the same token, you know, I mean, I got three kids, I got bills to pay. At some point I'm going to get hit with a college bill. I've got to make this profitable enough that I can move forward and and do the things that I want to do. And those margins are what allows us to do other things in the future for other people. Exactly. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. I mean, you need to, to have a, if you want a successful, you want to have a successful business because you want to try and help as many people as you can. That's right. You know, so um, 
I just, I think that's really important. So what, so learn the language of business, make complex ideas a little bit more simple. Don't be afraid to care. Anything else, any other practical tips you would, let's say I want to, I'm going to step into a company tomorrow and talk about a wellness program that I think I can help their company with. What advice would you give? uh, I mean, Probably the most practical advice I could give to anybody would would be to focus on secondary prevention. Um, you know, primary prevention—the idea of keeping healthy people healthy—in um, the corporate setting is it's um, it's pretty inexpensive. You know, there are a lot of uh, folks who will go and do that stuff for free. You know, the mm-hmm. local guy will come in and give a talk about something. Uh, hard to compete there um, and and have that be your bread and butter. Um, there's tertiary prevention, right? Pre- you know, prevent the chronic. Thing and, and in a sense, that's what the healthcare system already does. So you're in a kind of competing with yourself if you go in there and talk about that. And and although you know there are definitely options and on-site clinics and those kinds of things, but then you know there's this big big void in the middle, and that's the idea that well, what about people who are at risk, and and can we talk about lowering risk and is that acceptable? And if you can talk about that and you can make that simple, that look there is risk. A person who has let's say, horrible hip stability, their risk of a knee injury goes up. Mm-hmm. Can you guarantee that you're going to prevent their knee injury? No, you can't. And, and I've you know, had some exchanges over Twitter and things where people are really, you know, they, they, the word prevention is a hot button for them. But, but I think that that idea of if we can lower risk, that, that's valuable, right? I mean, there's no different than like an actuary saying, hey, like I'm going to pick up this person and insure them because they're a lower risk. Sure. Uh, that's something that we can really speak to. And I think that there are some, some nice things that folks in PT have done. Um, you know, I think some of the surveillance work that uh, Nicole Stout has done on, on cancer and, and lymphedema and those types of things are, are, are really important. And we can do the same thing with musculoskeletal and pain and prevention and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you kind of made that distinction of lowering risk versus preventing. And I understand preventing just sounds, it's such a great sell. Right. I can prevent this from happening, but then what happens when it happens? Right. Those people are going to be not so happy with you anymore. Sure, sure. Yeah, we have to, we have to so, be willing to talk to the right, you know, I mean, so the person on the ground saying, hey, we're, we're looking to prevent this because that's the term that they understand and it makes sense to them. Um, to the buyer, maybe the procurement person or somebody who's actually buying, like we would talk about likelihoods, you know, and, and mm-hmm. lowering risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes sense to them because they're typically, you know, either math, uh, you know, folks or, or somewhere in there, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that is not, it's not sexy to talk about risk lowering. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have that can, impact. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound great. It's pretty boring overall. But when you look at it on the grand scale and you're dealing with, a population, even if it's a population of a few hundred, you lower that risk enough, you save some big dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I was at a, a conference in Minneapolis through in such, uh, International Spine and Pain Institute, and Chris Powers was one of the speakers. Yeah. Um, he's out at USC. And um, he talked about this and talked about the, the sort of the lowering of risk. You know, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't say, if you follow my protocol for, and he, like you said, agrees, like you were saying, with hip strength and, and lowering uh, lower extremity issues, but he didn't once say this will prevent it. Right. You know, and I think that's important. And that's coming from, God, he's one of the best. Yeah, he's a real smart guy. I mean, he's, a, he's super smart. <laughs> yeah. He's super duper smart, much smarter than me. Yeah, so if me, he's saying me as well. that, I'm going to believe it. Um, yeah. 
Okay, excellent tips. And now, do you think, so kind of getting back, and I, I think I know the answer to this question, but um, this seems to me like this is the way that we as a profession, as physical therapists, can really thrive in this healthcare environment. And, and, I'm, and so even if you're a clinic that is in network for all insurance companies, you can still add these uh, these programs to your clinic and people will pay for them. I mean, these aren't covered by insurance, sort of wellness programs and things like that. Right. Yeah. Typically they're not, uh, they're not covered. I mean, I, you know, in some day, day in the future, maybe they will be, uh, I'm not holding my breath on that. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I, I really feel like, um, this is where we have our best chance. You know, I always kind of look at the, you know, sort of the bell shaped curve and say on the, on the one side of the bell shaped curve, you know, in my mind, if I'm looking at it, it's off to the right. Those are the really chronically ill people mm-hmm. uh, and, and folks who are, you know, post-surgery or whatever, and we might get them there. Uh, and on the on the very far left, you've got the people who are the super healthy, you know, health nut type folks. And, and you know, um, and I guess most people would probably say, yeah, that's you, Mike, you know, kind of like on the left. And and then we've got this big middle and, and there are a lot of folks who, re, you know, sort of slowing the progression of disease is, is hugely valuable. Mm. Um and I think that we can do it. And, and so it is really where I feel like we, we've got to go um, if we want to be in a lead role. You know, if we want to continue to be marginalized and, and sort of have our role shrink more and more and more and be a specialist, right? And there, there are people who advocate for that in our profession. Uh, I just don't – I happen to a just not, not agree with them. A specialist in what, in what way? Well, and, and like dealing with – yeah, like we do – post-injury rehab. Like we should be the best in the world at that. We should be the only ones who do it. And, and we should be willing to do that with people who are, let's say not athletes, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. people who have multiple conditions or whatever the case may be. And certainly there are plenty of, you know, there's plenty of need there and, and they can make a strong argument and say, Hey, like this is where we fit the best. It's where our, we have the numbers. We should spend our time and effort and energy there. And and, and that's the highest level of our de- like our degree and our license. And, and I and I I can see that argument. I just don't dis- mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look at it and say, you know, there are 117 million people who have at least one chronic health condition. You know, 25 percent of America has two or more chronic health conditions. Mm-hmm. We have to address that. I mean, as a, as a profession, if we're not doing something about that, we're we're ignoring the majority, and mm-hmm. I just we can't be okay with that. Yeah, no, I, th- that makes perfect sense. And and how do you feel all of, so, I mean, we're talking here about getting the physical therapy profession, for lack of better terms, to be kind of ahead of the curve yeah. within society to become leaders in more preventative care and wellness. Even though, like you said, I think if most, if you ask most non-PTs in this country, what does physical therapy do? They say, oh, they'll see you after you've been injured or after surgery. Correct. Right? Yep. So how can we get this idea to be more mainstream at keeping in mind, and you mentioned it before, the vision statement for the physical therapy profession by the APTA is transforming society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience. So nothing in there says we only see patients after they're injured or to get you back after injury. That's right. Or pain. So, what do we need to do as a profession to nudge this idea along and to move it forward? Yeah. 
So I, I am, uh, you know, I, I believe full, you know, full on and, and wholeheartedly that it's about, um, you know, sort of that shift in perception. You know, I, I like the idea of, you know, kind of the early adopters and the, you know, early majority and sort mm-hmm. of the, the in, you know, law of innovation or law of, uh, you know, diffusion of innovation. Like I, I buy that. I think it makes sense. And, and some of the, uh, the research out there on social dynamics um, seems to prove it, right? Where, where like the minority can drive opinion. Absolutely. But ultimately what, what it says is, is that you've got to have like, and, and the term they use is unshakable believers, right? So you have to have, you don't have to have many, not nearly as many as we thought, like probably only two out of every 10, but they have to be like completely locked in that you are as good as you say you are. Um, and so I feel like that's what we need to do. You know, we, every one of us, um, you know, every PT out there should be doing amazing stuff in the perception of their customer's eyes, right? Like, so, so when their customer says, my gosh, like I would never go anywhere else because this is my guy or this is my, 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 you know, therapist. I mean, that idea of they're so locked in and they totally see that we bring amazing value. Um, it doesn't take nearly as many, but once we're doing that and it's that awesome, um, it, it'll flip. I mean, I, I know I'm sure you've had these conversations and I feel like every PT probably has, but you know, when someone says to me, Mike, like, this conversation was more worthwhile than I got with my doctor. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, hey, like, yeah, I'm surprised by that. And yeah, I, I, I want to turn to them and say, and it should be because it's a conversation that I know my stuff on this area. Don't talk to me about that area. I don't know that. I know this, but I know it really well. And it, you better believe it's going to be awesome because that's what I live to do. When we do that, I mean, it won't take long before people start realizing and saying, hey, like these PTs, man, they know, they know what they're talking about. And, and that's definitely happening, you know. I, I I think so. I mean, I I think that that shift in perception in in the public, albeit small at this point, but I think it's definitely happening. I mean, what do you think? Do you? Feel I agree. Like, I think it's happening. I think it is. I think we're starting to see. You know, I mean, even if you just kind of look at popular media and. and you know, where PT is showing up and, and, you know, the years ago it would be, you'd say, Oh, the, you know, the guy's in therapy and it'd be like the person in the white coat walking with yeah. the walker, you know, and like, right, Oh right, gosh, right. you know, you just kind of roll your eyes. And now you're starting to see these references to, Oh yeah, you know, I, I got this or I got that. Or, um, I, you know, I, I think that we're going to get there, but we, again, we just have to continue to hammer it with passion and, and show people that we're awesome. Right. And it's, you know, it's the same thing that we would say to, our patients, right? It, it doesn't happen in a day, but it will happen. That's right. And so you just have to make sure that you're diligent. Let's say using a patient example, you have to make sure that you're diligent with your therapy, diligent with your home exercise program, that you're showing up and that you're showing up ready to go. And I think we can use that in our own business. So when you show up for your patients, you're there. You're present, you're there, you're ready to go, you're listening. I mean, we have the ability as therapists to spend more time with the patient than a doctor ever would. That's right. It's a huge asset. Huge asset. And that's something that we really need to, I think, use a little bit better to our advantage. That's right. And I mean, I, so like you said, have those conversations. And, and even when you're speaking to your, to your patients, think about simplifying what you're saying. You know, it's, think about using those non-scary words. Doctors use scary words. That's right. Right? So we, we don't want to use scary words. You know, think about, I, I just think being present, knowing what you're saying and how you're saying it. And also, I think another big step is to be able to say to a patient, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's hugely humbling, but it's, uh, it, it's, 
I think it's real. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's real. And it's someone better than says making that something up. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, when someone says that to you, and, and and if you're willing to say, "Hey, look, I, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know, but I will find out." You know, and, and that idea of not, not I will find out if I can charge an eight minute code to it. Right. <laughs> like, like no, that's total BS. Like, no, I will find out because I care about you and because mm-hmm. you're my client. Right. At the end of the day, you pay my paycheck, so I'm going to find out. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe people, maybe everyone does that already, and it's not an indictment of our profession at all. But I mean, that that is a key thing of like, look, I'm going to go a hundred extra miles for you because I care that much about you and your well being. That shows through. Anybody will will pick that up. Oh, no question. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So now, do you feel so? You're part of the House of Delegates. Yeah, I am now. This is my first year. Your first year. So what what is the feeling within the House of Delegates on all of this stuff that we're talking about today? Are you allowed to say? Is that like closed session, like um, can't I don't leave think, the room kind of stuff? Or No, I don't think okay. so. I mean, I think the the stuff that was – there were some items in executive session, but, but all the lifestyle-related stuff wasn't. Um, I think – overwhelmingly that people are, they get the idea. They see that it's valuable. I think that, um, you know, there was some, I had some concern. I mean, there was a, there was an issue that went up on, on nutrition and, and I, you know, again, on this podcast, I'll thank, uh, the folks from Michigan for putting it up. I thought it was great. They got up and they really made a point to say, look, PTs have a role in nutrition and we have to be willing to say that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Not that we would be trying to be dietitians, just like we're not trying to be doctors, but that we have a role in it and, and that's going to help our, our folks heal and stay healthy. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I sort of, I, I typically have this MO where I'll, I'll sit quietly as long as I can. And then eventually I just like pop out of my chair kind of involuntarily and start, you know, blabbering. And I did on this one as well. And, uh, and, and I was really surprised that it, it passed and people had support for it. And, I think everybody knows we've got to go down this road. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the only way we're going to help heal America, and and we have a role in that. And we can't say like, oh yeah, my job is to build a great practice or help you with that injury. No, my job is to help you be the best you. And I'm one of the people on that team, and and I'm the one that deals with movement and all the pieces that you know kind of factor in. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and what do you think about um, the being a health coach? So that's another sort of uh, buzz word and kind of new uh, profession, I guess, in the last couple of years is being a health coach. So do you feel like it would help the physical therapy profession to either work in tandem with a health coach or to become a health coach yourself as a PT? So um, we, we've had folks, we, we've sort of had both sides of that, right? So one, one of our therapists recently became a certified diabetes educator oh, nice. um, and we kind of went that route. Um, and we have definitely had folks who have done some of the, you know, health coaching items. I mean, I think one of the things that, and I don't, again, I'm only pulling from my own information, so I don't know that this is still the case, but one of the things that I, I felt like we were a little light on is sort of the psychology, you know, sort of the psychology of change. And that's something that, you know, maybe is happening now in kind of entry level education, but I don't know that it did as much when I was there. Um, so health coaches get a little bit of that, that behavioral change type stuff. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever sort of been super impressed and been like, wow, like that's a new profession and, and that should have its own carve out. Um, if anything, um, 
<laughs> this is going to hopefully not sound too frustrated, but over the years, I've often thought like, boy, PTs should be filling this role, but there are no PTs who want to. Uh, and, and I know for our practice, that's one of the reasons why we use trainers and and uh, and, and health coaches in some extent and, and train our own health coaches is because mm-hmm. there just weren't PTs who ever thought they should or, or would want to do this. Um, why do I you hope think that, that is? I think for a long time we were told we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. I mean, I, I, I can remember being... You know, I, I sort of joke with the folks from the private practice section in APTA. I, I sort of joined private practice section because we were starting our new practice, found that really no one was doing the stuff that we were doing and didn't really connect with me. And I sort of left and then I came back and found that, hey, there are people who want to do this stuff. They're just not really sure how to do it and, and actually have become really involved now. Um, and and so the, the, the funny part about that is that PTs, I think, kind of bought into this, they, you know, and I not to say we drank the Kool-Aid, but like we bought into that idea, like, Hey, we don't do maintenance and we don't do health. Like that's the dumbest thing ever. Like, mm-hmm. like why would we ever accept that? And it was like, well, because insurance said so, and that's who will pay us. Like that's a horrible idea. Like we shouldn't right. take our cues from who's writing, you know, who, who's, who's the third party payer. Right. So, so I think that that, you know, that has shifted and it's changing. Um, I, like I said, I've never been super impressed with the health coaches I've met. I'm sure there are some out there who are fantastic. Um, but, um, you know, there are some who, who we use and, and it's a part of our team. You know, we sort of look at it as it's multidisciplinary or, inter, or interdisciplinary. And, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody's going to have every, every card in their deck. Absolutely. And, and what about those uh, private practice owners or those physical therapists who don't have the ability to have such a big practice like you have, such a robust practice? Um, or they don't have the space, or they don't have the people in their area who are interested. Are there things that one can do as a solo practitioner to kind of take some of these ideas that you're doing and bring them to fruition in their practices or in their their life as a PT? So I think the, the, the landscape right now is one that is rewarding consolidation and collaboration, right? Um, it seems like many practices are consolidating, like formally, you know, people sure. buying up each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I think that there's, you know, with, with a little bit of effort, there's the same for collaboration, right? And so I, I kind of think that in many ways in, that the really small, you know, therapist, the one solo person, you know, maybe in a great position in the future because they can be nimble and fast. Um, and if they can link up and have some professional relationships with folks, even if they're not, you know, in the same town or in the same location, I mean, they can collaborate and build those more comprehensive services. I mean, we've got, you know, information technology and telemedicine and all these other mm-hmm. things that are, are right there. I mean, you know, this is fantastic, you know, and, and we should be doing everything we can to get ahead of that. And, and I mean, I, I really think that the speed, you know, of being able to get to a person quickly, um, that's a huge leveler. And so the solo practitioner can definitely do this stuff. Um, we just have to stop thinking about bricks and mortar clinics. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they're just not necessary. You know, I, I don't have a brick and mortar clinic. Right. Right. Yeah. And doing, and doing fine. Right. I mean like that's, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 no, I'm doing well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a brick and mortar clinic. I see patients in their homes and, and I do have like a go-to registered dietitian sure. that I work with that works really well. I have Pilates instructors, yoga instructors, personal trainers. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it works. It works. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm assuming that you can, you can feel like, Hey, look, like this is part of my team. Yeah. Even if you don't have the legal, 
like, hey, we all work for the same, you know, company. Like we're all independent, you know, kind of that whole idea yes. of the on-call workforce and this yeah. idea that we've, you know, kind of going into that consultant base. And I, I think that, I really think there's a huge future there. But again, it's about speed and, and being able to be nimble, right? So, so sure. whereas you, we may not have the single solo practitioner may not have the ability to make huge purchasing decisions and, you know, get sort of scale on their side. On the other side, you know, their speed is, uh, and the ability to be nimble that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, when I, it's, it's great when, when I have a patient who, you know, I did see she had a terrible ski accident. Same thing as Lindsay Vaughn, same, same knee injury. Yeah. Yeah. Was not, it was not easy, but, um, she was motivated. I mean, this, she was in it, you know, she was in it to win it and she wanted to get back to skiing a year later, which she did. Um, but it was the work of me and a good friend of mine who's a personal trainer Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, I, I go to Reebok, in the, which is a gym in the city. I said, mm-hmm. if you're going to go to Reebok, there's only one person that you're allowed to see. Right. And, and she did. And the two of he and I worked together. We were talking at least twice a week. That's awesome. About her case, which is probably more than maybe I would even do to a, a PT in the clinic if you're sharing a patient. That's exactly right. You know? Yeah, so I, th- I think happen. that. Yeah, I think that's on its way. I mean, if it's, it's happening already, and I think that it's going to be. Uh, you know, the, the kind of working out the agreements of it and how to do it, and you know, where are the lines drawn? Obviously, there's some tweaking of that, but but I think that we're uh, collaborative models are they're coming. I yeah, think it's a big and, deal. And I think as the physical therapist, I think you just have to make sure that you're forming a meaningful relationship with whoever yeah. that that other healthcare provider might be. And that's from a doctor to a personal trainer, an athletic trainer, Pilates, yoga, health coach, nutritionist, whatever. I think you have to have a really meaningful relationship with that person because you need to be able to call them up or to shoot them an email and be honest with them and tell you what you think. And they need to feel the same way back. So I think it's not just like, oh, hey, I met this person one night at a networking event and now I'm going to refer everyone to them. I don't know. I, in my opinion, I think you have to kind of form a right, better relationship right. first. And, and that's the way that I think that collaborative model can, can really take off. And then, yeah, you know, yeah. it's well, referrals, I mean, city, back and forth, and, you know, life, life yeah. works out. That's right. Well, and the, yeah, they're, they're an extender of your brand at that moment. Right? Sure. The minute you refer somebody, that they're you know, you've extended your brand and so they better be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause could you imagine like referring a patient to someone who maybe you met once, but they told you they were really awesome. And then your patient is completely disappointed or there's an injury. I mean, do you think that patient's going to recommend you to someone else? Yeah, that's, we, we've had, uh, those types, yeah, those kinds of issues have come up. I mean, we, you know, where people want to come in and work in our, our facility and, Oh, well, you know, we'll split, We'll split the cases and things, and it's just not good. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. It's not good. And and like you said, you have to, if that's an extension of your brand, I mean, that we can talk about branding another time because that's probably a 10-hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I think that those are some really practical things that you brought up that people need to kind of be on the lookout for. Um, okay, so we've got a little bit of time left. Um, and I guess what I'd love to know from you is where do you see your business going? 
So we, we are trying, um, so we have kind of two, two objectives overall. I'd love to, you know, uh, kick our addiction to third party payers. Mm. Um, that would be a, a major That's a win. tough addiction to kick, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. It goes back to our, you know, one day at a time. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but that, that would be a, a nice goal. Um, just because I, I, I think that again, it allows us to be flexible and really give the patient what, or, or client what they need. Um, but we're, we are trying to really take what we've learned over the last 10, 15 years in really in the workplace and in industry and bring it to the community. I mean, that, that is our, you know, that's our major desire. We, we feel like if we can do that, we are going to have a major impact on the health of our, our local community. Um, and we've learned a ton. You know, we've learned a lot about how to actually sort of manage a population and keep them healthy. And I think that, that that's a key construct, right? We've got to get this idea that like we're managing a population. Our job is to, you know, lives under management, so to speak. Um, and that, so we've done that in the corporate setting and, and felt pretty good about the outcomes. Um, but it's hard in the community because, you know, in the corporate setting, you've got a, you got somebody who's ultimately holding the checkbook at the end in, right. in the corporation. Plus, you, plus you've got a captive audience. They're there. That's true. Right? That's they got to go to work. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so that, that's our major goal is to see if we can make that transition and get it to smaller employers and people who are just kind of individuals and, you know, because we really feel like health is something that happens. It happens where you work. It happens where you play. It happens where you live. It's, it's everywhere. And, and so we have to try to meet that need if we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful goal. And I'm sure based on everything you have done thus far, it will be something that you will definitely reach. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Basecamp 31. So I mentioned sure. it in the top of the show. So let's talk a little bit more about Basecamp 31. What is it? What do you do? Yeah, so so Basecamp um, is the both the name of our facility. So we have one we have one facility, one brick and mortar facility, um, and a team that often is out and about, right? So so that's why we called it Basecamp because uh, our folks sort of report there, and then we try to climb the mountain every day. Um, and uh, and so we knew early on that you know there, there needs to be some kind of social community component to health, right? I mean, the, the social determinants of health are, are a huge area and, and, and we know that we, we can't do this by just being a, a for-profit entity. So we started this non-for-profit um, and it's called Basecamp 31. And, uh, and although I don't, I, I've sort of resigned from the board in order to, you know, keep it moving and growing our pipeline of leaders that way. Um, it's, uh, it's something that we're really trying to meet that need in our community of how do we help people live healthy lives? Um, and so it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, we have kind of three major areas. Um, we, uh, we do a, uh, you know, kind of a, a scholarship area like many nonprofits and we give, you know, sort of scholarships to kids who are graduating high school. And then we have uh, the athletic club, which is kind of a growing thing where we're trying to use athletics and, and kind of our ability as PTs to be involved in athletics in the community. Um, and then we've got uh, sort of a service side where we're really trying to you know, use some of the benefits that we have in, in our sort of socioeconomic area and bring it to areas that have a little more need. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, one of the big marquee things that got us really kickstarted was when hurricane Sandy hit, sure. um, you know, we, the area was devastated. And, and so we, uh, and of course, as, as I'm sure, you know, the New York city marathon was canceled and it was, and we had, uh, we had some runners who, you know, uh, who, who were supposed to do that. One of which was my wife. And, uh, and she came back from the expo and said, I, I can't do it. Like, I can't run this race like this, this, you know, the city's devastated and it's just sad and it would be wrong. And this was before they canceled it. 
So we said, all right, like let's let's do it. We'll put on a marathon, and we'll we'll use all the funds that we raised to uh, to you know help people and victims. And and we were pretty pumped. I mean, in in four days, we uh, I think we raised eighteen thousand dollars. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We put on a marathon. There were people who were kind of like refugee marathoners, like you know, just showing up. Like, yeah, we saw this on Facebook. We're gonna I'm gonna run it, and it was a blast. And uh, it kind of got us going. So. Um, you know, it, it's sort of that whole idea of how do you take health to the community and do it on the nonprofit side as well. That's what a, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. So, so like I said at the beginning of the show, um, it's the website is www.basecamp31.com. Sorry for my delayed reaction there. I was just thinking, God, what a great thing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh wait, yeah, sorry. I mean, this is the middle of an interview here. Get it together. Um, but anyway, so www.basecamp31.com um, to find out more information and to donate or to volunteer. Um, this is in uh, the New Jersey, New York metro area, or would you say just New Jersey, New Jersey, Pennsylvania? Yeah, or- we're sort of in the middle. I mean, okay. we're uh, you know we're about fifty minutes out of Manhattan and maybe a little over an hour out of Philly. So we'll okay. take any anyone for anywhere. You want a, a nice run in the country? Come out and join us on a Saturday. Great. So, so there you go. Sort of tri-state area, New York, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Or if you'd like to fly in from other parts of the country, I'm sure you would sure. be more than happy to have people help out. Um, okay. So, where can people find you? Yeah. So, what's your the? If someone has any questions, they want to find you. They want to talk to you. They want to email you. How can they do that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I love Twitter. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I lurk and follow all of you guys out there, all of you guys talking about good stuff. So I'm uh, at Mike Eisenhart, um, M-I-K-E-E-I-S-E-N-H-A-R-T. Um, so that's an easy one. Um, or proactivity.com, our website, um, just, uh, P-R-O, then hyphen, activity.com. Uh, those are probably the two easiest ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and definitely go to check out their website because – you would be very, it's a, it's a great website and it's not, I would say, unlike many PT websites out there. Thanks. You're welcome. I'll tell, I'll tell my colleague, Justin, he'll be pretty pumped. He, he yes. worked hard on it. It's, it's very good. And, and it definitely now, like after speaking with you and looking back on your website, your website definitely encapsulates everything that you're doing. And so that definitely comes through and and you can see from the website your vision and your goals. At least I can. So so definitely everybody go to the website pro dash right dash Yep, yep. pro-activity.com. Right? That's it. Yeah, okay. Thanks. All right. So Mike, thank you so much for for coming on today. This was a great conversation. Like I said, we could probably go on for a lot longer, but you know, people will probably get bored and stop listening. Um, Yeah, right on. Well, no, of course they wouldn't. This was a great conversation. (laughs) Um, Anyway, thanks so much for coming on. And follow him on Twitter, at Mike Eisenhart. You can follow me on Twitter, at Karen Litzy NYC. Um, The show is up on iTunes. If you like it, please um, uh, share it or leave a, a little rating. It's also on SoundCloud, and it is just recently got up on Stitcher. So regardless of what device you have, you can now listen. So Mike, thanks again for coming on. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.